Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as we get into the Denver Nuggets 12 and 3 season. 15 games into this thing, and the Nuggets are still 12 and 3. How insane is that? I kind of said at the beginning of the season that the Nuggets really needed to get off to a hot start. Like there was a realistic chance that they could go 8 and 2, 9 and 3 to start the year. But this last stretch has really impressed me with Denver. Houston Rockets come into town. Boston Celtics come into town. Both of those teams are 11-3 and at the time. The Houston Rockets are riding an eight-game winning streak coming in. James Harden's been scoring like a madman. Lo and behold, the Nuggets give him an L. They give him one of the worst losses that he has had in a long time. Rockets only scored 95 points in that one. The Boston Celtics only scored 92 points in the game after. Now, they get an excuse built in. They lost Kemba Walker in the middle of the game. They didn't have Gordon Hayward, who's more important to the to the Celtics than Eric Gordon is to the Rockets. So, any Houston fans that are listening, come at me. But the Nuggets really impressed me. They have really, really impressed me ever since we last spoke. <clears throat> Today's podcast is not going to be on those games, though. Today's podcast is going to be notes on the Phoenix Suns game. I had a chance to go back and rewatch the game uh, in between when it, when it happened on Sunday when I was in the building and between this podcast. Had some interesting thoughts on just what was really a boring game, what was really a game where the Nuggets were clearly the better team and they knew they were the better team and they tried for basically one half of the game in the third and the fourth quarter. Uh, This is probably going to be a habit for most of the season in that Denver is going to continue to put up games where they know that they're better than the other team. They're not going to try for a significant portion. And then when the third quarter comes around, they spring into action. That's fine. There are there are worse ways, especially against a Phoenix Suns team that doesn't that isn't going to have the gas at, at in their fifth game in seven nights on the road. Like it's understandable. It's understandable why they would struggle. It's understandable why the Nuggets would take them not very seriously when they're missing Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines and DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker just went off last game, but is clearly going to be tired. Devin Booker was tired in this one. He only took thirteen shots for a reason. He's like, eh, I don't feel the need to do any more than this. And he didn't. Gary Harris locked him down, but he didn't really have to try that hard. 
And he also shared the burden with Jamal Murray, with Will Barton, with Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap. It was it was really a combined effort. And that has been the story of Denver's season, especially with their starting lineup. It has really been a combined effort. This game, especially offensively, really reflects that. Starting off, Paul Millsap, he got the Nuggets going and has been getting them going for a long time. 12 points in the first quarter. Millsap averages 5 of his 14.5 points in the first quarter, 3 in the second, 4.3 in the third, 2.9 in the fourth. So he really kind of trends down in terms of the actual production in those instances. But the first quarter is when Millsap shines, and it's honestly when he's had to shine. Nikola Jokic isn't always engaged from the tip. Uh, Jamal Murray sometimes struggles with the shot selection. Gary Harris, same thing. Uh, Will Barton's been great, don't get me wrong, but he took over in the third quarter in this one. Paul Millsap, this was his quarter. This was the first quarter was his quarter. He ranged from three-pointers. He got to the free-throw line. He was an isolation beast. He got on in on a backdoor cut from Jokic to start the game. Lots of really interesting ways to use Millsap. There, it's going. It's getting to a point though that I think the Nuggets are playing a dangerous game with him. He has become a little bit of a safety valve in these situations, and he's going to tire eventually. It's it's just a fact of life. It has happened every single year since he's gotten here. He's going to tire eventually. He's going to slow down a bit, and the Nuggets have to be able to manage those minutes. He's playing great right now, so it's really really hard to manage that. He only played 27 minutes tonight, which is good, but there have been times where he plays more than that. There have been times where he kind of exceeds that margin. And the more frequently he does that in 82 games, the less likely he's going to be to defend LeBron James at a high level in the playoffs, to defend Paul George or Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis and guys like that. That's what Denver's really fighting for. That's a that's the most important thing. Millsap doesn't take a lot of shots in the fourth quarter. As I, as I had said, 2.9 points per game in the fourth is his lowest uh, by-quarter point total. Uh, but he is a very efficient shooter. Shoots 5 of 8 in the fourth quarter from 3. He's been extremely clutch. Has had multiple shots from the corners. Some shots from the from the wing. But the corners have really been his friend, have really been the Nuggets' friend in a lot of late-game situations, most notably in the Boston game. But he also had a, a shot in the Phoenix game where he didn't shimmy, but he, he certainly could have. Jamal Murray continues to be extremely impressive to me. He's not quite at the all-star level that uh, it, it, we talked about this in the Denver Stiff show. I, I don't think he's going to be an all-star. However, he is really, really broaching that, that threshold. He's not doesn't quite have the counting numbers, but he has been Denver's really like major engine offensively uh, in a lot of the games that Nikola Jokic doesn't get going. And, and that's a, a really that's a really big deal. I'm gonna coin him a weekend player right now because he just seems to excel on all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games for some reason. He's averaging over 22 points per game in each on each of those days, including 25 points per game on Sundays. That's kind of odd, but it, it's just an interesting quirk in the numbers right now. 
Monday through Thursday, he's not averaging anywhere above 18.5 points per game. And on one of those days, he's averaging nine points per game. So clearly there, there, there may be days that he just prefers to play and maybe he just likes to play on the weekends. And I can understand that you can go out after it's great. I've made this point several times, but Murray's game continues to open up when he continues to light it up from three. As he grows more comfortable shooting the ball, as he grows more comfortable shooting from deeper and deeper ranges, when he's coming off the dribble and pick and roll, he's doing a sidestep in isolation, the occasional step back. I do think the step back has become a little bit of a crutch of his. It's not as efficient as it probably can be. And he's so versatile. He's He's got such a diverse game that he doesn't need to go to it every time. And I, I think that the step back usually sits in the mid-range, which not a great shot. I think that he can work for better. Uh, when he's coming off of, off of screens, too, the Nuggets were using him off of screens in this game. Hit a three there. At least he's ready for those for those instances. I you never want to see him have to work too hard for some of those shots. And the more he dribbles, the more likely it's the shot is not going to go in. That's just kind of a statistical fact. Um but if he can catch and shoot, if he can stay efficient there, if he can continue to get spot up threes as well, the Nuggets have to continue working that into his repertoire. Uh getting him easy looks will help him get going. The Nuggets got him some easy looks in the Memphis Grizzlies game, and it helped him go off for 39 where he was hitting tougher looks down the line. So as they continue to develop Murray, as they continue to use him as the primary weapon from the perimeter, getting him easy looks, getting him some sets early in the game where he finds himself open for three, not a bad idea. I think Barton in the pick and roll can really help with this. Maybe Gary Harris in the in the dribble handoff where he he throws a hammer th- a hammer screen pass uh, along the baseline to Murray where he's cutting to the corner. That would be an interesting set. It'll be interesting to see how they develop it. Uh, speaking of Will Barton, by the way, he took over that third quarter. Uh, the Nuggets had really slept walk through that first half. The score was fifty seven to fifty two. Didn't really feel that close, but it still felt like the Nuggets had it within arm's length if they if they really wanted to start trying, and start trying they did. And Will Barton was kind of the captain of that. Uh, went back through the numbers there: twelve points, three rebounds, one assist in the third quarter. He hit two of his three pointers. That's a really big deal, and having different guys that can go off at different points is such a massive advantage for Denver. They didn't have that last year at the small forward position. Will Barton wasn't that guy. Torrey Craig definitely wasn't that guy. Wancho Hernan Gomez, while he had his moments, was not a guy who you could just go to in certain situations. Will Barton is. He can handle the ball. He can take guys off of isolation, and when he has an advantageous matchup, you want to go to that guy. Really think that he he has a lot to add to this group, and we'll see what happens in a playoff setting where he's he's faced up against Kawhi Leonard for a seven-game series or somebody like that. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops his game over the course of the next few months when going up against those star small forwards. Nikola Jokic, we, we haven't really talked about him since we 
didn't really give us any reason to talk about him. It was very much a sleepwalking game from Nikola Jokic where he <coughs> didn't really didn't really put up a ton of effort, but he also played low mistake basketball, which is what you want in these situations. The Nuggets didn't really turn the ball over that much in this game and you you like to see that when when you're you're not necessarily at your best in terms of the effort level, at least you're not compounding those errors. Uh, in this game, he did have a, a high number of assists with five to just one turnover, two steals. He was great in position on, on his help drives and in general defensive coverage. He continues to give strong effort defensively. Uh, it wasn't necessarily great at the beginning of the year, but he has certainly rounded into form over the last few games during this win streak, I think he understands that he doesn't always have to give super strong effort on the offensive end to be an effective offensive player. But, and well, and especially because when you have nights like tonight where, where Murray had 22, Millsap had 23, Barton had 22, he doesn't have to be the main point driver in order for the Nuggets to score how many did they score? 116 points and, and have a 127 offensive rating. That's fine. He he was perfectly, perfectly capable of doing that. In the games where he knows the Nuggets will need a little bit extra against the Philadelphia 76ers and the Minnesota Timberwolves and uh, the Boston Celtics where he had a triple-double and Houston Rockets where he, he was the main point scorer and outplayed James Harden. Those are situational moments where Nikola Jokic is learning to put his foot on the gas pedal. And in this in this nine and one stretch, he's had a lot of moments where he didn't have to put his foot on the gas pedal, so he didn't. And I think that's a really smart move from him. It doesn't always look great on film. It doesn't always feel like he's trying or giving effort or giving the fans what they want to see. But in the end, I think the fans would much prefer to see him excel in the playoffs, excel in a in one of those formats where in a seven game series he can rise to the level of the best player in that in that setting. He did during the last season, and I think he learned a lot from that. I think he learned a lot from his FIBA ball experience that he doesn't have to gas himself out initially. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I am looking forward to seeing what he continues to do. But I'm, 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 he's, he's not quite back. I won't say he's, he's quite back because when he's quite back, he's scoring in the double digits. And that's just kind of a fact. But I, I do think that while Paul Millsap is playing as well as he is, he's taking up space in the mid range, in the low post, where that's where Nikola Jokic can operate, can can get some of his easy buckets, especially in this matchup, like against Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric. Like that should be a a cakewalk for him. But it doesn't have to be if everybody else is performing well. And finally on this game, the bench continued to struggle. Uh they only attempted four threes all game. And I'm going to continue to ride that point until I don't have to anymore. But if the Nuggets want to open up their bench lineup and want it to be a great offensive unit, they have to start shooting the ball. It is super simple. It is not that hard. And you have to put your guys in a better chance so that they can shoot those open threes. 
Now, that means adding more spacing to the floor. That means finding other guys that will space the floor and will shoot threes. Wancho uh, Hernan Gomez, for all of his great qualities and in helping out Nikola Jokic, is not necessarily a willing shooter most of the time. Though, when he doesn't get the opportunity, that, that also affects matters. The Nuggets added Malik Beasley into this game in, in the late third, early fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure. And he immediately hit two of those threes. He had two of the two of the threes that were attempted in this game. Actually, yeah, let's let's look back at he was two of two from the three-point line. Michael Porter Jr. was 0 of 1, and Monte Morris was 1 of 1. So the bench was 3 of 4 from 3 as a unit, but they continue to attack the glass. They continue to attack the paint and and live in there. And I just don't think that that's a great situation for them. This team is going to continue to struggle offensively if they don't get the proportion of shots on that are threes higher, especially if they don't get to the free throw line as often as, as other teams because 23 free throw attempts is fine, but when you make only 16, that's, that's tough. The bench is one of the major... Uh, detriments to that. They they only made four of ten, and that's a it's kind of a big deal. Monte Morris can't be missing two free throws. Uh, Jeremy Grant can't be missing two free throws. Mason Plumley does regularly, but he shouldn't. Um, this is going to be a talking point until the rotation is kind of ironed out. I there's there's no real way to talk about it without being able to talk about a set group of guys. The only guys that have played in every game are Monte Morris. Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant. And I don't really like that trio right now. I think that they don't space the floor enough. I think Jeremy Grant's a willing shooter, but he's not a great one. And Mason Plumley is not a floor spacer, and Monte Morris is not a floor spacer. He shoots a high percentage, but he doesn't space the floor. So it's it's going to be interesting, and I think the Nuggets really need to prioritize having a two and a three that are going to space the floor. Or they need to start mixing up their rotations because I think they're going to continue to find that the constants in all of these bench lineups that they've tried are Monte Morris, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, And that trio just isn't going to get it done on a consistent basis. So we're going to see what happens. But either way, let's send it to a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, I want to talk about the five ways the Nuggets can strengthen their offense without hurting the defense too much, because I think there's a a limit there. And then Denver's place in the West, which I think is an important, important topic to discuss heading into Denver's next matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers, who continue to impress everybody. We will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
and we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Just me today. Wanted to take you through the five ways the Nuggets can strengthen their offense because I think there are a lot of questions about why the Nuggets are missing shots. Why aren't they taking as many threes? Why is Nikola Jokic not so engaged right now? How can they get to a better place? Here are five things that I think they are really lacking right now that I think that they could continue to expand upon. And maybe maybe some of those things work, maybe some of those things don't, but the only way to find out is to try. The first one, the Nuggets have to cut out the floater zone on, on curls to the rim, on DHOs, pick and rolls, uh, any time where they are in a position where the ball handler is in a position where they are crowded by a defender, cut out the floater. Just, just don't shoot it unless there's like under five seconds in the shot clock. Then, then I think there's a, a reasonable cost benefit to that. But 12 seconds on the shot clock, is that really the shot that you want to work for? Is that really the shot that the best look that can be can be had in that situation? Gary Harris is the king of this right now because when the Nuggets run their pick and roll with Jamal Murray up top and Gary Harris on the weak side, Nikola Jokic catches the ball at around the left elbow and then dribbles over to Gary Harris in the corner. Gary will come around, curl around, and most of the time he will either pass it back off to Jamal Murray, he'll hit uh, Nikola Jokic on the roll, or he will take a floater. That's if he curls into the rim. Sometimes he'll step it back to three, and I'd like to see him do more of that just because it's going to be a more valuable shot, and I think it spaces the defense a little bit more, but sometimes that's a confidence thing. But either way... The, the floater at the rim, or the floater at 12 feet out, is, is not a good shot. And especially when you have a guy on your hip like that, there's a difference between, between a floater where you're kind of open in the middle of the lane going down Broadway, and there's somebody that's in the paint, and you want to throw it up over them. And then there's a difference between somebody who's on your hip, and you're trying to fend them off while shooting a, th- while shooting a floater. Uh, when you're on the move like that, it is so hard to gauge exactly where you need to be, especially when you're coming in at an angle. That's a that's a really tough look, and I think that that's that's something that if they cut down on those, or if they just cut those completely out of their system, continue to work the ball around, maybe try and get it to Nikola Jokic in the post off of those looks instead. They might be able to create something that's a little bit more palatable, or. If it doesn't work, then they'll still take the floater at three seconds in the shot clock as opposed to 12, but at least you've you've ran out some clock. The second option, I think, put Jokic in the middle of the paint. Find ways to create Jokic looks in the middle of the paint in between the two semicircles because when Jokic is around that area, when he's in the floater zone, he is just honestly automatic in that area whether it's in the in the post up or if it's coming down the coming down Broadway in the pick and roll he does a great job with his floater he's one of the only guys on the team that I consist that I would consistently trust shooting a floater at basically any angle any distance 
<coughs> in any situation. He's just too good at it. So keep that in mind. If if when we talk about floaters, just basically exclude Nikola Jokic from that conversation. He can do what he wants. Um, more shots for him is usually good. Um, but any way that they can create any sets that they can do, they they sometimes run him off ball and run him off screens. The goal of that set is to either get him a, a quick jumper on the right elbow or to have him curl into the paint. I think having him curl into the paint more frequently would be a good option. Uh, Nuggets guards on the weak side can then cut, can then space the floor and give him a target. And once they give him a target, once Jokic is passing on the move, he's usually at his best in that situation. So those will create threes and dunks, and you like threes and dunks. Number three, Got to stagger the starters a little bit more with the bench unit. Unfortunately, the Nuggets have 12 guys right now that all deserve playing time or all think they deserve playing time. Michael Porter Jr. has not played well, but he needs to continue to be out there in order to develop his skills to gain some confidence and be better in the situations that the Nuggets will eventually need him to be better. There are going to be those moments Maybe even in the playoffs where Denver needs another floor spacer or Paul Millsap goes down with an injury and they need somebody who's shooting better than Jeremy Grant. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I'd like to see Denver experiment a little bit more with their lineups. As I talked about in the previous segment, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley has been the primary bench lineup as expected. Millsap Jokic has been the primary starting lineup, as expected. The Nuggets have done a decent job getting Jeremy Grant in with Jokic on occasion, getting Millsap in with the bench on occasion. They know what that look looks like. But mixing and matching those lineups might be a little bit better. Maybe even dropping some guys down. The The next, or we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but another option is to play Will Barton with the bench and give another ball handler to that unit to kind of ease the pressure off of Monte Morris. I think that that's a, that's a major point right now because in the lineups that Monte Morris is really struggling, he's usually the only ball handle. He's usually the only playmaker other than Mason Plumley post-ups and that, that can get pretty old pretty quickly and, and kind of impacts things. But if you have Will Barton in those situations, if you have another ball handler who can create their own shot or maybe create a shot for others, then that could at least ease the burden. I, I kind of like the idea of a Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Will Barton, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley lineup. <coughs> Just because there's a great mix of ball handling, shooting, and running in that group. Um. The bench also has to take more three-pointers. That's number four. As I mentioned, there are only four three-pointers taken in the previous game. That has been a trend that's been going on for a while, and it's one of the reasons why the Nuggets struggle so much as a team to generate three-pointers. I'll look up the number right now and kind of talk while I do it. Uh, this this has been a a major talking point, I'd say, for a while, the Nuggets wanted to exceed 36 to 37 three-pointers, or at least kind of average that amount. 
going into the year. That was a stated goal that Michael Malone had. So far, that's not really working out because right now the Nuggets rank 25th in in three-point attempts at 29.7 per game. That's actually lower than they were last year, and a lot of that has to do with pace, but their three-point attempt rate has also gone down, and a lot of that comes with the the mid-range shots, the cluttering of the rim. When you have lineups that feature Mason Plumlee and Jeremy Grant's don't you think the defense wants the opposition to take mid-range jumpers as opposed to shots at the rim? I would certainly think so. Uh, the Nuggets can't help out the defense, though. They they have to continue to work for those shots and start creating threes for themselves. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. had a had an opportunity in the last game to hit a hit what is called a kind of kind of a hammer three. Uh, no, that's not what it's called. I, I can't remember, honestly. But he, he lifted from the backside on the single man side. Uh, pass was whipped over to him by, I think, Monte Morris. He had a wide open shot at the wing, bricked it. Now, there's a lot of pressure on Michael Porter Jr. to perform. But as my colleague Jenna Garcia continues to assert, he has only attempted or only made two three-pointers in the regular season. And he's getting to the point where he's played a a number of games. It's kind of surprising that he hasn't hit any more than he has. And the true shooting percentage is going down because of it. And that's, that's the biggest indicator of efficiency for a guy like that. So I kind of thought that his three point percentage would be lower this year and that his, his actual field goal percentage would be reasonably high, but if he continues to take mid-range shots, then both of those both of those are going to be pretty low. Nuggets have to find continual ways to get him good looks uh, because he could really carry that unit if if he get to a point where they trust him. I don't think they trust him right now. I think that there are situations where he could be better, and or there are situations where the Nuggets could allow him to be better. And I'm, I'm thinking of one situation in particular in the Phoenix Suns game where he's kind of toying with his man on, on the strong side of the court and Mason Plumlee is posting up right behind him, like right, right in his driving lane, four feet away from him, basically. So that's, that's kind of, that's, that's not helping your young guy win. It's not helping your young guy succeed. We'll see if that continues. We'll see if, if that is, is something that they continue to try. I I tend to be skeptical there. But number five, the last one, and I talked about this with mixing and matching lineups, but I kind of want to see a Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant lineup, at least from time to time. It would be interesting in getting Nikola Jokic a little bit of a breather. Maybe Mason Plumley takes a smaller role, but I'd like to see what that lineup looks like, and I think it would be pretty dope because you can have Jeremy Grant rolling to the rim while Paul Millsap is spotting up at the power forward position. Whether it's Monte Morris who's in there or Jamal Murray, I kind of like the idea of Jeremy Grant diving to the rim while being defended by a five, while being defended by somebody who's likely bigger than him but slower and less athletic, and he can jump over that dude. Um, The Miami Heat do a really good job with this with Derek Jones Jr., who's basically their bench power forward and is also like super small but like super springy. Jeremy Grant's a lot like that. He could potentially catch the ball on the roll 
and make decisions with it or jump over his man. That to me seems like a pretty a pretty solid option, especially if you can get him into the middle of the floor where he does have good touch when he's relatively open. So food for thought. All right, when we get back, I want to talk about Denver's place in the Western Conference. I really do think that there are some interesting factors going into the West right now, and Denver is right in the thick of it, so stay tuned. Last segment of the day, Denver's place in the Western Conference. They are currently second best in terms of record. 12-3 and three is only behind the Los Angeles Lakers, who are basically a million to one right now. They're playing really well. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with them. Uh, but let's, let's get into the more analytical things here. The Nuggets are fourth in net rating right now in the West. Uh, the only three teams that are higher than them are the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Dallas Mavericks in reverse order. The Dallas Mavericks actually lead the Western Conference in net rating. I don't really consider them that much of a threat, though, and here's why. They have played the third easiest strength of schedule and are kind of in for a rude awakening when teams can really gear up on Luka Doncic and and disrupt his dribble, disrupt what he's doing, the Nuggets were one of the only teams that actually really disrupted what he wanted to do throughout the game that they played. They they defended him the best of anybody. And I can't help but imagine that tonight, Tuesday night, against the Los Angeles Clippers, where he has to go up against Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Mo Harkless, and Kawhi Leonard on a consistent basis... It's going to be a tough call. That's going to be a tough, tough awakening. And the the Mavericks don't really have another option beyond that. That that's that plays at a high level right now. Kristaps Porzingis isn't great. He's he's getting better, but I'm I'm still a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, again, Dallas has played the third easiest strength of schedule. By comparison, the Nuggets have played the 14th hardest. So 14th ranked. That's average. That is that is like very middle of the pack in terms of what they what they have done. But but it's much better than what Dallas has done. They've played the New York Knicks twice and lost twice to the Knicks. So technically they should be better, but they've also lost to the Knicks twice. So I mean that's that's kind of a dichotomy. The only other teams that I have higher than Denver right now are the two LA teams. Again, I've been really impressed with LeBron James. I've been really impressed with the Lakers. I was wrong about them. I would have took the under on basically a 50-win season from them. They might smash that, honestly. They might completely demolish that total. And the reason behind it (coughs) is the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis make everything so much easier for the role players around them. Sometimes you just need two great players, and... Avery Bradley can cut it, and Danny Green fits really well next to that, and Kyle Kuzma can add the third amount of scoring behind them, and and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are serviceable centers when they're flanked by Anthony freaking Davis. So, makes it a lot easier. They will come down to earth. They had the 24th ranked strength of schedule so far, 
but they are good. And they continue to have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The Clippers remain good as well, and they just got PG-13 back. Paul George, he's awesome. Hard to imagine a better duo right now than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in terms of what you would want on both both ends of the floor at any given time. They fit in so well with anything, and it's it's really interesting to see how the how the Clippers have dealt with that. There have been times where closing games, not Paul George, not Kawhi Leonard, but Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell have been in the pick and roll, and that's that's been one of the best plays in the NBA dating back for a few years. So, not a not a bad look when you can space the floor with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and give them rest in fourth quarters and have them just focus on spotting up and guarding people. And then throw in Patrick Beverly into the mix. Ivisa Zubac has been fine. Um, everything just seems to have clicked into place for this group. They, they're they probably one big man away from, from making things really interesting, but Jamichael Green's fine. Ivisa Zubac is fine. Um, Patrick Patterson's not good, but but he can get hot at any given time. And when in doubt, they'll just play Montrez Harrell like 35 to 38 minutes, and he's pretty good. Um, Utah is also good. They've had the 18th-ranked strength, strength of schedule, lower than Denver. They also have a worse record. I think it's pretty pretty reasonable to put them below Denver right now just based off of where things have gone thus far. I also am worried about Utah's depth much more than I am worried about Denver's depth. I don't trust Emmanuel Moutier for a full season. Um, he's basically the only backup guard right now uh, because Dante Exum is just can't can't cut it. Jeff Green's fine. Uh, Ed Davis has already been injured, so they're. I mean, they are in a position where they're struggling a little bit. Um, but they're still they're still getting things done because they have Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell has taken a star turn. He looks a lot better than he did at the at the end of last year. Um, Mike Conley is starting to turn things around, and Boyan Bogdanovich continues to shoot well. So keep going, I guess. Beyond beyond those guys in Houston, um, who Denver beat Houston, I think they're they're fine, but they have the Russell Westbrook anchor. Uh, nobody else really matters outside of those six teams. It's Denver, it's the two LA teams, it's Dallas, it's Houston, and it's Utah. Uh, I don't feel like talking about anybody else. Portland fell off a cliff. San Antonio fell into the Marianas Trench. Golden State and Sacramento have injuries, and we can't really talk about them until they come back. In my opinion, the, the top six teams in the West right now, we'll, we'll do a quick power ranking. The Lakers... The Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Mavericks, and the Rockets. Mavericks have really impressed me, but they are gonna they I I almost put them six. The Jazz are, are kind of penciled in at fourth above the Rockets and below the Nuggets. And the Lakers, I, I think they have earned their number one spot so far. Uh, we'll see how they do when their schedule becomes a little bit more difficult. We'll see how the Clippers do as they continue to kind of load manage everybody. But I I think that this is very reasonable. I think it's fine for Nuggets fans to be upset by Denver being ranked third behind two LA teams. But it's also a fact. Like, those, those teams are very good. 
uh, until Denver beats them head-to-head, which could happen as soon as a week from now. Until that happens, they they just won't have an opportunity to prove that they're better. So Denver's just got to keep winning. They've got to keep doing what they're doing, playing strong defense while getting the offense worked back. Once they do that, though, they're dangerous. They are in this tier. I think those three teams, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, and maybe the Jazz, are the four teams that could represent the West in the Western Conference for the finals. I think you you probably have to give the Lakers and the Clippers the edge there because they've got the top-end talent that, that teams really care about. But... As the Nuggets continue to develop, as Jokic and Murray continue to get better, if they add a piece, I think it's, there's a real reason that they could be considered the favorites in the West in just a few months. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Really appreciate you if you stuck through all the way to the end. Make sure to check out Denver Stiffs for all of the latest game stats, analysis, recaps, highlights, podcasts, whatever you name it. We're going to come out with some great content over the next few weeks. We've got some great things planned. I'm, I'm really excited by, by what the staff has planned. Doing a great job. All of those guys and gals doing a great job. Really impressed with everybody so far. So thank you so much, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.